0: You're listening to I Am The Perfect Fit podcast where women all across the world are giving a new meaning to perfection. Perfection isn't about the size of your clothes or the number on the scale, nor is it about your cute curated images on your Instagram feed. It's about you understanding that your creator, Jesus Christ, created you perfectly for a specific mission. On this show, we talk about perfection in a way that's freeing and transformative, in a way that gets you moving in the direction of your deepest desires and dreams with bold courage and big action. I'm your host, April Morris, a missionary with one goal in mind, and that's to help you rethink how you think about yourself today, y'all, I have an amazing woman. I don't even know where to begin, so I'm not going to even prolong the time. We have the president and founder of Black Women in Aviation. We have none other than Samantha T. Mitchell as our guest today. Samantha, I am beaming from ear to ear. Welcome to I Am The Perfect Fit podcast. Thank you
1: for having me, April. I'm super excited to be here with you all. This is an honor and a pleasure. Super, super excited.
0: Thank you. Now, if you all heard me correctly, Samantha is a founder and president of Black Women in Aviation. So we know we're we gonna have a good time talking about just this, this here alone. But Samantha, there are so many other things about you. So tell my audience, who is Samantha Mitchell?
1: Samantha Mitchell is a role model leader who allows others to leverage their 10% more confidence. And I able to do this by just being able to serve in a way where I show you how to reduce the limiting beliefs and the limitations and those barriers that you put on yourself. So you could really tap into your own unique gifts. Cause like, mm-hmm. I believe that we are all a unique, unrepeatable difference and we've got to be able to leverage that to be our true authentic selves.
0: Absolutely. I love how you said that we are our own unique, repeatable difference. Did I say that right? Unrepeatable. Because like you can't repeat me.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Unrepeatable difference, meaning that I'm just a one of a kind. There is no one else like like me. And that really leans into what this whole platform is about. It's about women understanding that they were created perfectly for a specific mission. No one else can do the mission that was assigned to you. No one else can take the steps, build the thing, build the business, start the podcast, write the book, be the founder and president of said organization, but you. And if you all, don't know, Samantha, you're also an author. And we're gonna talk about that and how you got to the point of writing, pinning one of your is I believe this is your first book. Maybe I maybe yes. your first book on three keys to unlock and unleash your confidence. But before we get into the book, I want to know, Samantha, how did you get into aviation as a black woman, a woman of color, what led you to this industry, to this arena of aviation?
1: So I got into aviation because I was completely lost, April. (laughs) I really had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. I just knew that I wanted to be able to leverage my unique gift, which was my mechanical aptitude. And it wasn't until I was in high school where, you know, you, you always think everyone else has it all together. And so I believed everyone else had it all together. And they knew what they wanted to do. And Sam was just really in the space of mass confusion. I was like, what do I want to be? And I told myself I wanted to be an auto mechanic. Mm. And in going down the path of pursuing being an auto mechanic, one day I got a life-changing brochure at my house. And it was from the Vaughan College of Aeronautics. And they, they the brochure was um, just promoting their aircraft maintenance program that they have at the school and in that moment I really just paused and I was like "Hmm, I said I want to be an auto mechanic this is an aviation mechanic I was like airplanes cars I was like unique I was like not everyone can fix an airplane that's like a really special space not that anyone can fix a car but I was like that's a little bit more common Mm -hmm. and so when I saw that I was like you know what that's it like I'm, I've forever been mesmerized by aviation and how airplanes fly. So I was like, I want to get into this space. I'm going to learn more about it. Like my curiosity is going to fuel me and I'm just going to be the best that I could be. Like I didn't even in that moment think about the industry and the diversity of the industry. I was just like, I was going to be a car mechanic. Now I'm going to be an airplane mechanic. Let's get it. And so that really spooled it up for me. And I, I applied to the college, got some scholarships and I got in and, you know, fast forward four years, graduated the top female in my class, got my license to work on aircraft and really just started thinking about how I wanted to now be in the industry. And the for me, really being in the industry, as I was going through college, I wanted to work for the best of the best. hmm. And I, you know, for me, that was the Boeing company. And one of the things for working with Boeing under government contracts, you're required to be a U.S. citizen. And I was not a U.S. citizen because I was born in Jamaica and I migrated to the states when I was about seven. And so I, I like pretty much gotten the job. Yeah. And and after I got the job, we were talking and the representative that I was with he was just he was talking about clearances top secret clearances and I just kind of paused and I looked at him and I was like I kind of leaned in I was like do you have to be a U.S. citizen to work here cringe <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: like please don't say yes please don't say yes <laughs> yeah and he was like like his eyeballs
1: just got really really big and I was like oh my gosh like in that moment My heart just fell, like this dream that I had, like I knew it was not going to be like manifested, right? And so I I, I lost that opportunity. And, you know, for me, that was a sense of delay, not denial, because I didn't get it. But now it prompted me to explore what else, right? Do I want this? You know, at that crossroad, we get to choose. And I told myself I still wanted it. And so that meant that I needed to go pursue my citizenship. So I went through the process of getting a citizenship, but I also needed a job. And I applied for a job at Air Jamaica and I was like, listen, God. But told me no, but I'm Jamaican, so Air Jamaica has to take me,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> now, was this in United States? Were you in US then? Yeah. And but how so old were was, you? How about how old were you then? Oh, this was like straight out of college. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this okay. was my
1: first job coming out of college. Gotcha. Yeah. And so I I put in for the job at Air Jamaica, and I got that job. And so I became the first female mechanic at JFK working for Air Jamaica. And so that was my first dose of real life aviation. Mm. Yeah. And that within itself was an experience. (laughs) I think the first, right? Yes, Um, Just being in a space where it's like it was all it was a lot of Caribbean men. It was definitely all men, a lot of Caribbean men, but really I, I stress Caribbean because the culture is different. Mm-hmm. Like they believe their their blueprint and belief system around women are very specific. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not their peer,
0: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And
1: so now I have to show up in a space where I know how these people think. Cause my father was like that. Like he didn't really think that women could do those types of things. And so now I'm working with men who have the same belief system. So I'm like, oh
0: man. Like, so let's how, let's how talk about that it? i want i wanna I wanna kind of poke into that because, as I was listening to you, I was making some mental notes of a lot of things because you are in an industry, a space where who you are and, and you know as a black female, it's not that many, but then you say your father was like that, so as you were pursuing this, was there ever a time where your upbringing and maybe how your father thought process? Did that ever hinder you from moving forward or having, have you ever struggled with limiting beliefs? Like maybe this isn't the space for me.
1: You know, I I actually, I, I make this analogy when I talk about my parents and me getting into aviation, right? So like, with aviation, in order to fly, there's four forces of flight, right? Mm-hmm. And it's pretty straightforward. Like there's, there's thrust that's going to bring you forward and there's drag that brings you back. And we'll focus mm-hmm. on those two forces, right? And so I always say my mom was my thrust. My mom really believed in my aptitude to be able to just do anything. And I feel like my father was more of a drag, right? So he, he was the guy that was on the back, like just, just breaking things up. And so when you think about being able to actually gain momentum to go forward, which is what I needed, right? oftentimes those limiting beliefs, you'll focus on the drag. So I had the choice. I could have focused on what my father thought that men, you know, it was like men do certain things. And that girls, you do what you go cook a meal or whatever, right?
0: <laughs> go clean the house.
1: <laughs> yeah, go clean up. Go fold up some laundry. And and, and we, we naturally, most people are programmed to where you want to focus on the drag. But in order to really fly, you have to have that air pressure differential in the positive side. And so, like, I really started honing in on my mom who was saying, you can do anything, you can do anything. And so I I really tapped into that belief. And so she was really the thrust that allowed me to pull forward versus my dad, which was the drag that was like pulling me back and trying to like program me and reprogram me, reprogramming me into believing that I wasn't capable, that I wasn't enough. So I I was like, well, if if that's the case, I got to really hone in on the one that's pulling me forward so that I can really get to where I want to get.
0: That is so beautiful. I love how you painted that. And of course, I love how you utilize those aviation thrusts and drag. I did an episode a couple of weeks ago on focus on your mission, not your misery. And to me, it says the same thing. Focus on what's thrusting you forward versus what's going to drag you back. And so, and to me, this is a skill set. This is something that we constantly, it's a life principle. It's something that we constantly have to remind ourselves because you said a key word programming, right? If we're not aware of the programming that's happening upstairs here in our thought process, we will focus on the drag because naturally we're more inclined to focus on bad things or things that's not going well than to focus on good things. And so we have to consciously, we have to give effort. We have to be intentional. We have to pay attention and we have to tell ourselves, I need to intentionally focus on my thrust, focus on my mission rather than my drag or my misery so that way I can maintain momentum Keep momentum and move me further and further away from the thing that's trying to hold me back. And so I love that. So here you are, a young girl who has this desire, this heart to go into aviation. Now you get into aviation, you get your citizenship. What was the first obstacle or what was the maybe the surprising obstacle that you stumbled into once you became credential you had all the same credentials as your peers walk us through a time where it was really tough for you in that space as a black woman in aviation
1: so the time that i'll pick is is actually the transition from being out on the flight line to corporate space right Mm -hmm. so I I I defaulted to Air Jamaica because I wasn't a citizen so in my mind the grass is always greener on the other side I was like when I go to Boeing it's going to be different and so in my mind now I'm telling myself that story and then I get to Boeing and like I still show up I'm not the first woman working at the site I'm not the first in my group but I'm really the only, right? Mm -hmm. And part of it is always showing up as the only woman, oftentimes the only Black woman. And really the difficulties stem from the biases of the people that you're working for and working with, right? And there's there's always this one example that stands out in my mind where I went into my manager's office one day and you know, I I, I told him that I wanted to, like, how do I make more money, hmm. right? Everybody wants to make of more course. money. So I'm like, okay, what does that look like? We, we're supposed to put together a performance plan, growth plan. So how do I do that? And he basically took out, uh, he, he went to his whiteboard. Like, I promise you, I was making <laughs> $40,000 at the time. And he took, and he wrote 40,000. And then he said 3% over, and that's, that's, that's the generous side, right? 3% over the course of the years. And he said, Sam, you're not going to get rich by working here. Mm. And I was like, I'm not trying to get rich. I'm trying to make a living. And then I really started asking myself, is this what you would tell someone else? Mm-hmm. And I didn't believe that that's w- what he would tell someone else. And so I just was like, hmm. And in that moment, back again at the crossroads, I, I was like, you know what? My circle is important. I can't be in a space where you don't support me. Like you don't gotta be my sponsor, right? But like at least like be my manager mm-hmm. and 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 like you know be supportive in that way. and then, and at that point, I was like, I gotta go. And I just like aggressively started looking for a different job. Like I didn't care what the role was. Like I was putting in applications outside of that specific group, because I knew that he didn't want to see me grow. And oftentimes we're in a space where we're limited with our growth and we don't choose to leave. Like we stay there and complain. And so I really reflect back on that moment and I I celebrate myself because I knew that that wasn't the space that would allow me to grow, especially because it was so new in my career. And so I was like, what are you going to do? You can't stay because he's not going to support you. You can't wait for him to get replaced. Too much time would pass. You are in control. You're the pilot in command. Like you're going to make sure that this plan is in alignment with what you want. So that means you need to take full control. And so I was able to take full control. And I just started applying, applying. And I was transparent with him. I told him, I was like, I'm, I'm looking for another job. And, you know, he didn't really believe in me. And this mm. just goes to show, like, it's it was a consistent theme. And I actually, I had gotten, I put in so many offers for so many jobs. I got one offer. And it was like a 6% increase. And he thought I was going to take it. And I didn't take it. Because that wasn't really the job I wanted. Like, mm-hmm. the job I really wanted, I was still waiting for. So I took a chance. It's like Russian roulette. Right. right. Like, I'm like, hmm, I could really just leave with this. Or do I wait? And I, I, I just, I really prayed on it and it came through and it came through at 18%. And he was like, like, I mean, if I could visualize his mouth dropped to the floor when he saw it, cause he didn't think it was possible, but there was someone else that believed in me. And so now I'm going in a space where you support me, you believe in me, you're my cheerleader. And I'm like, this is where I want to be. This is how you cultivate growth, especially when you're someone new in a space So I was super, super excited about that. And I was just glad that I was able to move away from like a toxic work environment over to a space where I was celebrated and supported for growth.
0: I love that story. And as you were chatting, you said, I moved over to a space where someone believed in me. And ultimately for you to actually make that final decision to leave, ultimately Samantha believed in herself and that's one thing i my heart is to encourage women is that we can have a sponsor we can have a mentor but fundamentally if you don't believe in yourself when those two opportunities come sometimes it will be hard for you to take that leap not because the person on the other side doesn't believe in you you're lacking the belief in yourself so let's talk let's talk through that. How what are some things or what did you do in this space and time to raise your belief in yourself particularly in this again relating to the fact that you are in an industry where you are less than 1% what were some tactical things some tactical tips that you practiced or that you did to to foster that strong belief in yourself so when that moment of chance came you were ready to go.
1: So full transparency back then I feel like I wasn't even personally developed enough to have a robust system in place to where like I knew how to manage those types of things. Mm -hmm. Like I was really young in my career, but also really young in my personal development growth. So I like if you ask me that for where I am now, I'm like I got tools, like I can do this, (laughs) this and this. But back then it was really prayer. I was just like just asking. And it's so important, the power of the ask, yes. like, but asking with clarity and specificity, right? Not just, oh God, just send me this. Well, no, like I remember sitting there and I was really clear in my ask and like, I knew it wasn't going to be right away, but I was patient too, because like, I knew it was, it was, it was a journey. Like it wasn't like a quick thing. Cause I, I knew that my career was going to be long-term and so I gave it time So I wasn't that spooled up back then to, to like say that I use this, this, and this things like now, I mean, now I'm just like, okay, I I, I know people and behaviors so much more now because I've worked on myself and like, I have tools that I'm able to leverage now for when I'm in a position like that. So that's something that like I share with those that I coach right now and that I'm you know just, just clients of mine that I'm like, okay, if you're in a position and like that self-belief is the most important belief. And that comes down to like quiet time, right? Like you can't you don't you don't get clarity with noise and busy and like flutter. You really have to come to a place of stillness. And it goes back to the ask, like a place of stillness and really asking for what it is that you want that clarity on. And In doing that, knowing that if it's yours, it's going to be yours. So if it if it's yours, it's going to be yours. And I really believe that. And I think once we embrace that, Mm -hmm. then we're really able to soar in life because there's so many things that are going to come up and you're not going to get everything. And it's not bad to believe that you're not going to get everything because you're going to get the things that are yours.
0: Absolutely. Because it's your
1: unique path.
0: Absolutely. So you really got to focus on that. I love that because in Matthew seven and seven, which is a very popular scripture, which is one of my, one of my favorite, it says "Ask and it will be given to you, seek, and you will find knock in the door will be open. And so I turned ask a S K into an acronym, right? It's really its own acronym. A is for asking S is for seeking and K is for knocking. Right, so the whole set Matthew seven seven is right there for us. Is ask? What does ask mean? I mean, I have to ask, I have to seek, and I have to knock. And so, one thing that I often share with other women and, and encourage other women, and, and likewise in coaching other women, is that you have to be bold enough to make the ask. And sometimes we we spend too much time waiting for someone to bring it to us for them to make it happen for us when in return it's you making the initiation with your ass and your ass is like you said sitting still asking God seeking and knocking asking the right questions seeking God for the right direction then being bold enough and courageous enough to go and knock on the door and if you get that no. That is not a denial. Maybe that just wasn't the opportunity for you. You go and knock on the next door. You stay relentless in your pursuit, particularly when you know that this is what I'm called to do. I'm not going to let a no stop me. If this is what I am born to do, I'm not going to let a no deter me and take me out of this. This is what I was made to do. Therefore, I'm going to stay in this vein and I'm going to trust that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I one of my personal, I, I gave a definition or I made my own definition for self-confidence. And I say self-confidence is trusting the God in me to become the person he created me to become. Trusting Mm. the God in me to become the person he created me to become. And if I living by that definition, Samantha, it removes all the external pressure for me to try to steer my own ship. Mm. It removes the pressure for me to try to figure out when what I'm supposed to be doing. I, 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 I'm trusting the God in me. And the way that I'm trusting the God in me is by the ass it's by asking him questions. It's by seeking him. And it's by taking bold action, bold courage and knocking on the door and saying, okay, th- is this mine? maybe it's this over here. And that's where, that's where that faith comes in. That faith and that works comes in is that I'm, I'm, I'm faithful and I'm believing, but now I got to go out there and work. I got to make it work. I got to take what I know and I got to make it work. And I have to be okay with getting some no's. So now how did you get to the place of pinning and writing the book, three keys to unlock and unleash your confidence? So, you know, it's
1: so funny. Uh, I feel like after I wrote the book, people were like, whoa, like, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? And I, I feel like I oversimplified it, but I'm going to tell y'all the real deal. So my, I have a cousin and he we, we, we talk pretty much every day. And he calls me his confidence confidence coach. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Now he was like, Sam, you need to drop an e-book. And I was like, an e-book? I was like, I don't, like, I'm not a writer. That's not what I do. Right. And he told me he had an e-book. So we're like, what, nine years apart or something like that. So mm-hmm. I was like, you got an ebook. So when he told me he had an ebook, I was like, if you could write an ebook, <laughs> I could write an ebook. And so I, April, I, I mean, I was just there, and I, I, I swear, when you when you want this thing, the universe is gonna just conspire with you. And I, I said, I'm gonna write the book. And ironically enough, there was a, um, uh, someone I knew she was like, yeah, hey, write a book in 90 days or something like that. And I was like, hmm, I need help. Like when you are doing these new things, you're supposed yes. to get a coach yes. to help you along. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I, I, I got the program and I started writing the book and I completed the book and it was so funny because it was just supposed to be an ebook. And, you know, I had the timeline, 2222, everything ready, and everybody's like, oh, can I get a paper copy? And I was like, no, this is an ebook. Like, I was just, this was just a challenge. Like, I'm just dropping the ebook, cause I, he told me he did, but now I was gonna one up him. I'm like, yeah, I can have one too. <laughs> And then when they started asking for the paperback book, I, I told my coach at the time, I was like, how do, I was like, I can't make this into a paperback. It's an ebook. It wasn't long enough for it to be an actual book. I said, mm-hmm. but it's so straight to the point because most people are not going to read that much. And I was like, you can really just read that in like twenty five minutes or so. So I was like, how do I do this? And then we started working together, and I, I really thought about it, and I said, you know, when you read the books. When you're doing these things, you need to do the work. Like it's never really just from reading. And so I put in the challenge in there. So there's a 30-day transformation challenge in there as well. So after you read the book, now you have the daily practices to help you gain that insight so that you have that time with yourself to build in that discovery on self so that you're going to attract the things that you want so that you can increase your confidence.
0: So why confidence? What made you write you could have wrote a book on how to become a a pilot or how to become an aviation mechanic, right? Why Mm -hmm. did you choose confidence?
1: So that's a great question. And it's all centered around my aviation background. What I didn't realize was confidence was the key for me to be in the space. Mm -hmm. Confidence is the key for me to stay in the space Mm -hmm. because I can't show up as Samantha Mitchell the black woman in aviation and not be confident because you're going to test me. And when you test me, I have to be able to withstand everything that you're going to put in my way because I believe that I know all of the things that I need to know to show up. And and when I say all of the things, I don't mean, I know everything. I mean, I know enough to show up because I also know that you don't know everything. Like <laughs> we We all are in a space of learning. And mm-hmm. I think oftentimes we, We put people on these pedestals and we think that they know everything. And like, as I matured in my career, I'm like, you know, your space, like, if you're an electrical engineer, that's what you know. Right. You don't know anything outside of that. And so as I started working with these different people and I started realizing everyone had a niche and that no one knew everything, I was like, Oh. So why do I put all this pressure on myself to know everything? I was like, no, I'm just going to continue to activate my confidence muscle so that I show up as myself and show up and bring my unique gift and capability to any team that I'm working with or representing.
0: Beautiful. I was reading a section here in your book. It called, it says, perfection kills dream. Now, you know, the topic or uh, this show is about perfection. I'm the perfect fit. So I, I was reading through this and I was like, now, you know, my heart went pitter patter because this is, this is my lane right here. So when you say perfection kills dream, when you wrote this piece of the book, what were you trying to convey to your reader? So
1: when I got to this section, I really
0: thought about myself,
1: my programming, right? Because I've been in aviation so long, but also my personality type, I'm always trying to make things perfect. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the more I try to make things perfect, the more I do nothing. So I'm not the only one.
0: No, girl, you are not alone. That's why we're here. (laughs) I want y'all to hear this is why we are here because we struggle with this idea of wanting everything to be right look right do right and Samantha just laid it flat perfection kills dream continue friend
1: (laughs) so I mean when you think about it right so Apple and I love using this example because it even to this day when I think of like if there's a thing I want to do and if I'm suppressing taking off with that thing i think about apple i'm like how many software upgrades am i gonna get with apple like apple is continuously evolving with their product mm-hmm. if apple can do it why can't we why why and we
0: give apple all the
1: grace yes. all of the
0: ease yes. but we don't give it to ourselves And here's the thing. Sometimes when companies make an oops, they found a brilliant way to turn the oops into a marketing endeavor. (laughs) So if they can take the oops and find it as an opportunity to market or to bring knowledge to their audience, why are we so fixated on everything lining up one two three four five six A B C D E F G and not willing for for life to be a little bit of a scribble scrabble for for things to go outside of the box and that in that as you said that is a bit of a programming um within our mind and I realized that's where I was I was so fixated that it had to look this way it had to be done in this set order things over here need to be in place. And I, too, like you, wasted so much time waiting for perfect to come. And guess what? It never came. And it never will. And it never will. And this is why we have to be okay with embracing imperfection. So what is imperfection looks like to you? And how do you embrace imperfect?
1: Imperfect is everyday living. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I plan, I'm in program management, like we're all about mapping things out. And one of the things that I always bring my professional life into my personal life, because I see it at work, we have phenomenal plans, but we also have to be fluid and dynamic. And that is where the air quote imperfection is going to come into play. Because if you are so rigid, then you're not going to get things done. You're not going to hit the timelines and the deadlines and then the people working together part of things that you need because everyone operates differently. You're going to have to be more flexible. So like imperfection is not a bad word. Imperfection just simply means being fluid and flexible to be able to get to the result that you want. Like I'm really big on excellence and operating in, you know, just high standards and, You can still do that, but you don't have to make like it's there's levels to it. Right. Mm -hmm. When we talk about excellence, there's, you know, if it's an aircraft, yeah, we're going to operate within certain guidelines. But like I had to really take myself out. I'm like, Sam, this isn't flying. Like, for instance, with the book. I mean, anyone who writes a book understands that there's going to be editorial changes and it does not matter <laughs> who you hire to do it. You're going to find things in the book. And it's like, oh my gosh, how did we miss that? We looked at it. Yeah, we did. And it's okay. You can do a rev. They do it all the time. Right. right. So so don't beat yourself up because of it. Drop it to the standard in which you know that you put your all into it. And if you find something after then make the revision.
0: I love that. And in, in your book, you actually say it. I'm not wired like most people because of how I've been trained. I have made a conscious effort to reprogram my brain to separate the tasks that need to be perfect the first time around in those that have room for imperfection. I think that is so beautiful because as, as you're right, as a aircraft, some things do need to kind of hit the nail, right? Because we don't want planes flying, you know, falling out the sky or vice versa. If there is a, a physician who's getting ready to have a procedure on a, a life and it can be life or death, there's a small, small percentage where there can be error. However, in most things in life, we have margin for error. Uh, and, and our brain is is the processing in us that says, no, we don't have margin for error. When it comes down to us trying new things, we actually do. Um, we actually do have margin for error, and we can be flexible, we can adapt, we can shift, we can pivot and the beautiful thing is that we call them our brain wants us to identify them as mistakes, but really they're learning lessons right we there there's it's a lesson, and I love it because I was a science major and we had to do tons of different experiments. I remember being in biology biology lab and microbiology lab, and the whole point of doing the lab was to prove the hypothesis wrong, (laughs) right? Was (laughs) to prove it wrong. So the the idea, which which always came complicated to me because on the scientific side of my brain, I'm like, April, you know that mistake is okay. Like that's what scientists do. They go in the lab to go break something and make a mistake because in them practicing that, that's when they discover something new right? That's when they discover a new a new, uh, a new, new drug or a new process, a new procedure, because they were trying to make a mistake. They were breaking something. And so I began to tell myself later on in life, after you realize perfect is not showing up and you have to kind of work on reprogramming your mind. I said, you need to adopt that scientific approach to life. You need to be flexible. You need to see life as an experiment. And if it doesn't come out the way that you had hypothesized it to be, that's okay. But the hypothesis may actually be better than what you wanted it to be. That's a fact. Right? And so we would stay locked up in prison in our thinking and, and not taking action because we're like, it has to come out this way, not ever realizing that there was a better way that this experiment in life, that this step that you were about to take was going to lead you to. And you just forfeited the opportunity because you refused to take the first step.
1: You know, I, I love how you said that. And I started really thinking because the biggest breakthroughs that I've had relative to momentum is when I learned to surrender. Like I felt like I just had to be in control of every single thing all the time. And like my life really just started taking off when I started practice. Like I have a surrender prayer that I got over a year ago and I do it daily because of my programming and because I'm a control freak and I (laughs) want to be in full control. But the moment I learned that I can't be in control and that I truly have to surrender and release yes. and then watch it just come back tenfold. Yes. When you see it happening, you just that then that ups your belief system and the ability in your ability to surrender and then seeing what happens. It's, a, it's, a, it's just amazing altogether.
0: It is amazing. And oftentimes our brain wants to tell us when we're in that moment of surrender that we're surrendering to something that is not going to have a favorable outcome. Well, in reality, the surrender is leading us to the favorable outcome. And us resisting the surrender is keeping us in this state of hostage and confusion and frustration and drain and overwhelm. And all we need to really do is exhale, release mm. and surrender. And then now you breathe in a, a, a fresh breath Now you're able to go with the flow, go into the direction that God had already lined out for you. It's interesting that you say surrender. My guest last week, that was exactly what she said. She was just like, Mm -hmm. I had to learn to surrender. So to all of the listeners, if you don't take anything away, you need to write down the word surrender. (laughs) You need to write down the word surrender. You need to go ahead and have some quiet time and ask yourself, am I surrendering? And when you say surrender, Samantha, what does that look like to you? Like, what is? Give a visual de- demonstration or maybe a, a, a an experience. What does surrender look like? Because I know for some time people say I have surrendered. I'm surrendering now, uh, but maybe you're not. So maybe Samantha, what are some? What does surrender really look like? What does it feel like?
1: You know, I I could say this that when I started the art of surrendering, like you know, you're truly surrendering when you're like connected at an emotional level. Mm. I was, so I call it my Sam cave because I go in my basement and that's where I work out. I pray like just time of solitude. Nobody else goes down there. And I was down there saying this surrender prayer and oh my gosh, April. I just started like, I, I got so emotional that I was like, like, I was just like, I was like, wait, what's going on here? Yeah. This is crazy. And I was like, wait, I, I, because now I felt like I was out of control. Like, I didn't have that control. And so I was like, wait, that was when I realized that I was starting to understand surrender was when I didn't have that control because mm. I tried to control it all and to be put in an emotional state when I didn't plan it. Like, you know, like I was just, I was, I was going through the routine. I said, this is what I'm going to do because that was what I wanted to do. But in doing that, it really opened me up on like a more spiritual level to where like God really just took over that day. And I just was down there crying, not that you have to cry to surrender, but it's when you feel it like within your soul. And that day was just this defining moment to where I was like, wow, it's really not me. I can't control it. I got to give it to the higher being and let him lead and I follow because he already has a path for me. And if I believe that he has this path for me and just listen to what he's telling me to do, because he's walking me through that every day, even with the things that are happening that I'm thinking shouldn't be happening, they're all happening for a reason to me. Not You know what I mean? They're not happening to me, but they're happening for me. And so I was like, wow, this is, this is what it looks like. So for me, it was just more that spiritual connection to be able to, to, to witness that thinking that I was in control and this was going to be my routine. Cause I was going to do this prayer.
0: Absolutely. You know what? But it was the physical routine, right? And we're talking spiritual. It was the physical part of that routine that brought you into that moment of surrender. And so if we look at surrender that, because Sometimes we feel that, okay, I may have surrendered naturally. I'm, 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 I'm going to give up. I'm not going to be bossy anymore. I'm not going to tell people what to do. Right. That, that's one level of surrendering, but there's a deeper level of surrendering. And, and you hit it on the head. That deeper level of surrendering is at that spiritual level. It's at that. It's in that unseen part of us. It's at that deep internal unseen part of us. It's that heart part of us. It's that mind part of us where we have to work to release. In our mind, in in our mind, the unseen part of us, because I can say I have surrendered, but the truth is going to be revealed in the inner part of me. And only I know that. And I like to say, when you have reached a place of surrender, it really brings an extreme level of peace because now you understand that you're not in control. And you're okay with that because you know the one who is in control. And so when you surrender, surrender shouldn't bring anxiety. Surrender doesn't bring worry. Surrender actually brings an extreme level of peace because I have released and relinquished all control to the one who is in control. Therefore, I'm safe. I'm secure. I don't need to worry. I don't need to fret because I've surrendered everything to him. And his plan for me is the best. So I can rest in the fact that he is going to lead me to the best thing for my life. Amen to that. Hmm. Yes. So now in terms of your book, three keys, I want people to buy your book. So I don't want you to give all the three keys, but if you could share with us, what, what would you say what is one key to unlock and unleash your confidence?
1: So the, the first key that I always like to share, because I believe that it's the foundation and, and we probably use this word as we were going through the podcast, it's mindset. Mm-hmm. So your mindset is your internal belief system. It's all of the programming, conscious, subconscious that you have and being aware of your mindset. Because true transformation happens with awareness. And if you're not aware of where you are, then you're not gonna be able to make that pivot to this new desired place that you're trying to go to. So like, it's really important to focus on mindset and what practices you need to do to create awareness and then also to be able to create change around your mindset.
0: I love it. Mindset is so powerful. And another way to say it is what you set your mind on is powerful. What we set our mind on, what we place our mind on is very powerful, and we have the ability to control that. As much as we may not have the ability to confer, to control the first thought that enters into our mind, we can practice taking captive that thought and replacing it with a more positive and a more ideal thought in terms of how our creator thinks of us. And so mindset I totally agree with you is one of those one of those keys that definitely will shift and unlock and unleash your confidence Samantha if nobody ever told you you a bad mama jamma. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I receive that April and look you have to receive the compliments oftentimes especially women you don't even you don't know how to take a compliment you know and so I'm just I'm I'm going to this has been a phenomenal time, but I'm going to leave us with that, that when someone shares something great about you, it's really important to receive it. And so I receive that in the utmost way and I appreciate you and you're like, I I, I am the perfect fit. OK,
0: OK, listen, I always like to ask all of my guests on this podcast. What are you the perfect fit for?
1: I'm the perfect fit for. Black women in aviation. Yes. Like, and that's why I'm here. It's because, look, we, the organization was founded because it was for me. It wasn't here because it was me. It was my assignment. I didn't know that 20 years ago when I got into this space. I didn't believe it when I was trying to figure out if this was like a thing for me, but there was a shift. And in that shift, I was like, wow, I got to embrace it. It's just like I said, when you compliment I have to receive it. When I realized that it was my assignment, I had to embrace it and do my due diligence to go execute on the mission of the organization.
0: And you are doing a phenomenal job. You are doing an excellent job. And I want you to share how can people connect with you? How can they support your initiative with Black Women in Aviation? So
1: Black Women in Aviation is on Instagram. We are black women in aviation so you can follow us on instagram we're also on facebook as black women in aviation and for my personal um handles their instagram is sam number two transform and then samantha t mitchell on facebook and for my linkedin followers um samantha t mitchell on linkedin as well and then my website there's BlackWomenInAviation.com or there's samantha t mitchell.com so a couple of different ways that you can find me but i'm really easy to find
0: Yes, you are. And you are a jewel. You know, it's it's wonderful when you meet someone for the first time, not face to face, and then you meet them face to face and they are exactly the same. Samantha, that was you. We talked on the phone, we connected. And then when we seen each other, it was just like, Hey, what's going on? It was, it was so authentic and real. And I sincerely love that about you. You are such a gem. You're such a, a jewel. And I am so happy to have you here. I'm um, discussing this, this, important topic of helping women to understand confidence and even being that platform to promote and help women see themselves perhaps in an arena that they never, ever imagined themselves. So again, from my heart, thank you so much for being on the show today, Samantha. Thank you, April. I appreciate you. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for joining us here on this episode. This is, of course, I'm the Perfect Fit. I hope this episode has helped you to At least raise the awareness on your mindset and just thinking about how you can further build your confidence and put yourself in arenas that you may have never, ever thought you should be in. Your feedback means the world to me. If you would please so kind, connect with me on Instagram and let me know how this episode has helped you. Think about a friend, a sister, or a colleague who could benefit from hearing from this episode and share it with them. Until next time, friends, stand tall and confident because you are the perfect fit.